Thanks for downloading the Table Talk podcast. We're going to play, what is this game called? A Catechism Spinner Wheel of Glory? The oh, It sounds boring. It's actually terrific. Stay tuned. A radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes Scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to... Table Talk Radio. I, I like how he ran in the room thinking that you accidentally articulated baptism incorrectly. Like, wait a minute, you're mistaken. He said to me, he said, you sound like a heretic. Right, yeah. It wasn't like, boy, they must be playing a game where they're articulating someone else's belief. It was, I think Pastor Wolfmiller is off his rocker. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little bit disturbed that you think that I would actually teach that about baptism. <laughs> and it's so, 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 so deserved to be crunched. I mean, mega crunched. So, uh, if you guys would put mega, mega crunch. crunch on the song, that would be awesome. <laughs> Keep uh, preaching the word, pastors. Keep it mediocre. Mediocre and hilarious. Your theological wet blanket. This is Table Talk Radio. <laughs> Pastor Wolfner here with uh, myself, Pastor Gigline, and we are we have the small catechism wheel of fortune loaded up, ready to go. We're gonna put that back into action. I love this game. It's my favorite <laughs> game. You said that about the last. I hope game we get we done with it so we can play paces with points with this evangel <laughs> doctrine of the evangelical Lutheran Church. Every I time thought, I read this book, I get the burning in the bosom. I th I thought we were gonna play Church Father or. I think didn't we yeah. do that? Did we do that, or was that a dream, where we played all the the games that didn't make it to, that didn't stand the test of time, table talk radio time, uh, like barely church father or <laughs> remember that it was church history, name that what century? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> we got a lot of really bad. We games should we should have show. another throwback version of this show someday. If we ever remember. Yeah. All right. Well, let's start with some. If we buzzwords. had better taste, we'd get rid of some of the games we have now. So we're gonna do we're gonna do this wheel of catechism fortune, and then we're gonna play hopefully pages for points, and then we're gonna do buzzwords. No, first we're gonna do buzzwords. Is that and that's the whole show? Uh, yeah, buzzwords, email, then yeah, wheel of fortune. Okay. Okay. Good. So I got a buzz phrase for you. You ready? Yep. Without any merit or worthiness in me. Are you mixing our games? Mm -mm. Oh, okay. Without any merit or worthiness in me, that comes from the catechism. Now, here's the interesting thing: if you, if I just said that, I walked up to you, I finished teaching a church history class about the Reformation, about how it's all about grace alone and works can't save you, and et cetera, et cetera. And I said, "Hey, without any merit or worthiness in me, what's that talking about?" You say, "Well, that's talking about salvation. That's talking about the death of Jesus. That's talking about second and third article stuff. That's mm. talking about God's grace." for the sinner. But that phrase actually shows up when Luther's talking about the first article that is about creation. So that the Lord gives me reason and all my senses and he still preserves them and he gives me house and home and everything. He guards and protects me from all danger. All this he does out of fatherly divine goodness and mercy without any merit or worthiness in me. So even our creatureliness is God's grace. Even Adam and Eve in the garden, when they were perfectly good and holy, were still receiving everything without merit or worthiness, but but only by God's goodness and, and good pleasure. I think that is really incredible, so that our whole life is a gift, not just salvation, but even our physical life and so forth. 
Ah, nice. All right, I have one for you. Uh, it is the second Adam. Uh, second Adam is a reference to Jesus. Uh uh, so that the first Adam came in the Garden of Eden and Adam um, uh, sinned, uh, but then the second Adam comes and, uh, and brings us redemption. So here's it is from Romans chapter 5. It says, um, For if by the transgression of the one death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and a gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So then, as, though, as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men. Even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. So uh, we have the parallel that as Adam brings uh, sin into the world and all then inherit such sin, um, so Jesus Christ dies as atonement for all. And, uh, and I think this is a, a passage to know um, that uh, Jesus died for all. Uh, so so um, in other words, Adam didn't bring sin just to the reprobate, to a particular class of people. Adam's sin brought uh, uh, brought transgression to all, so that's original sin. Um, but so also we have to see that the work of Jesus to atone for the sins of all uh, is a, a, a sacrifice where he dies for all people. All right, so second that's Adam. Great. Got it, second Adam. I think that's one of the great arguments about uh, against the limited atonement, by the way, right there. Yeah, yeah, I think so. All right, so Stephen writes in an email, interesting one. He wrote this directly to me. I'm going to put it on the air, whether he agreed to it or not. He asks, what are the sacraments to the Calvinists? He says he discussed with a five-point Calvinist. And then he, he he's talking about not necessarily what they call a sacrament, but what we might call an anti-sacrament. So let me explain. He says the uh, the evangelical has the praise song. Uh, Lutherans have, say, sup- the Lord's Supper, baptism. And then what does the Calvinists have? So I think what he's asserting is that we have, if you will, substitute sacraments. So if I don't have the comfort and certainty that baptism brings because it's not in my theological system, then I replace certainty Right, we replace baptism to get certainty somewhere else. So again, as he mentioned, for the evangelical, it might be the praise song, or I might say emotion. Um, I think for like the Pentecostal, it becomes speaking in tongues. I find my certainty in the ability to speak in tongues. So he asks, what is the Calvinist anti-sacrament? What do you think? Interesting. It's, we want to note maybe that the Roman Catholic idea is that you can't have certainty at all. Mm. Remember those guys, the Catholics? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They said, if you're, if you're sure you're going to be saved, then you're damned already. So Ooh, I, have, I have a thought on this. Do you, you, let me throw it at you, and then you can either agree or disagree. I think that okay. the the anti-sacrament for the Calvinists is the fruit of repentance. And there's this great emphasis on almost a test to see if a person is really or truly repentant. And it comes from the idea, as we just mentioned, about um, limited atonement. So that if I can't have the certainty—I mean, I, I can walk up to Joe Schmo and say, Joe, or Mr. Schmo— um, <laughs> Christ died for you. And that is a true thing to say because that's what the Scriptures revealed to us. But if you have, in your theological thought, limited atonement, you can't actually say that to Mr. Schmo. So uh, there is a bit of a, uh investigative work that has to take place first to, to try to ascertain, is this someone who is elect? Is this someone for whom Christ has died? And I'm looking for some kind of a fruit of repentance. That would be my indicator. And so I think the fruit of repentance is the anti-sacrament. 
I think you're right. I think you can find reformed guys who would argue against that. But then you you have I'm to say, sure. well, what, what are you going to replace it with? But, we say, but to point it out like this is that, so do we look upstream or downstream for comfort? So do we look to the source of faith or do we look to the fruit of faith for comfort? And the reform, because there there's no certainty in the source of faith in the in the Lord's word, in the efficacy, or even in, like you said, in the atonement of Jesus, they got to look downstream. So they got to look to the fruit for assurance. So they, they're looking down to see. Now, we can look both directions. In fact, there is a Lutheran doctrine of the assurance of salvation from our works. It's even there in the large catechism when Luther talks about the forgiveness of sins. When we, when we, observe, ourselves, when we observe ourselves forgiving others for the sake of Christ, we see that the Holy Spirit is at work in us and it gives us great comfort. But that's not the chief place that we look for assurance. We look chiefly to the to the words which are true, to the gift of baptism, to the supper, which are outside of us and stand objectively. But if you lose those, you got to start looking either internally to your to the internal to the strength of your internal convictions, or externally to the fruit of that faith and to the to the fruit of the changed life. So I will welcome the critics. If you're a Calvinist listening and you don't think that I have correctly named your anti-sacrament, email me with what your anti-sacrament actually is, evan at tabletalkradio.org. <laughs> now look, everyone listening who's not a Calvinist is like, why do you treat them so poorly? <laughs> and we just have to remind the non-Calvinist listener that that's how the Calvinists like to be treated. <laughs> that's right. But but we're reminded that uh, in, in uh, reform theology, you don't actually have the gifts delivered in the means of grace, right? So they're at, at best a, a sign of a spiritual reality, but they don't actually deliver it in, in, in the means themselves. So, so uh, what, for example, you might get something like this: that uh, the 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 bread and wine is Christ's body and blood in a spiritual spiritual way. And yes. Well, am I receiving Christ into my mouth? Well, no, no, no. That's just bread and wine that you're receiving. So, so, but to, to rob the the, the the element of the actual gift itself uh, takes away from the delivery of the means of grace. So you so you need some kind of a spiritual ascension to obtain the means of grace in that thought. Yep. Yeah, and how do you know if you're going to make it to salvation? Well, you make it when you make it. You gotta. You never know if you had the faith in the begin with to begin with until you make it to the end. That has to do with the perseverance of the saints. Remember, because there's a lot of people who might think they have faith, but they're part of the falsely converted. Hmm. And so the end, you just can't ever tell till, till the very end. Yeesh, what a doctrine of doubt. That's that monster of uncertainty that the old Lutheran theologians used to talk about, the monstrum incertitudinous. That's that's certain certitudinous. All right. We I, need I, I, by to... the way, thought of a bumper sticker. It says this. Oh. We, mock, we mock Calvinists because they love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be one of those bumper stickers. And you've seen these. You see, but I'm sure you're like, I have no idea what that means. That's right. It's like some very, very inside you, you need joke. To, yeah, you need to put on the parentheses. It's so insidey that nobody gets yeah. the punchline. Yeah. <laughs> Table talk radio. We mock Calvinists. Not even listeners. Not, not even our listeners know what you're talking about. They, they would see that bumper sticker on your car and still not know, <laughs> what's that joke even referring to? I would have made a t-shirt out of it. You need, I mean, <laughs> if we, you mock, when we mock the Catholics or the Pentecostals or whatever, we, actually, it's mockery. They don't like it. Right. But the Calvinists, they like it. I'm just, you got to trust me on this. <laughs> They like it. All right. Well, uh, if you're a Calvinist, you're welcome then on that uh, on that on the episode. All right. We're going to be right back playing Small Catechism Wheel of Fortune. Now remember, the Small Catechism is prayable. So this is a this is an activity of prayer. So we'll be right back doing that. Wow. Just after this. All right. 
ever felt like you were all alone in the world? You were probably listening to Table Talk Radio. I'm reading Luther's sermons from the House Postal every week. You can find it at www.hope-aurora.org. Click on the Luther Sermon Podcast. All right, Join we the are while you can. <laughs> We're back here on Table Talk Radio, getting ready to play Small Catechism Wheel of Fortune. But first, Omar. Omar, I used to play football with this guy named Omar, and he was he was great. I miss him. I want to see him someday. Well, he's a great. He's just a great guy. But he was pretty intense, and he was the kind of guy that you know, like he'd be working out, and he if it didn't if it wasn't like excruciatingly painful, it didn't count. And he was the kind of he'd be like, punch me in the face, slap me in the face. You know, you had to like. He'd get ready for the football, and he loved it. You know, everyone would slap him on the back, and he had all these welts on his back. He's like, ah! That's how Calvinists are theologically. <laughs> Just the they same They love thing. it. Yeah. They love it. Now, Omar, so here's the – so we were on the line together. I played offensive guard, and Omar was a – he was a strong side guard. I was a weak side guard when I was there. and he So he would call the plays, and we had different colors for the plays like this. So so red would be one or green would be another like tackle you'd loop around and we had different blocking schemes and we had them by colors but the, our coach said you guys can't just call the color cuz then the the other team will start to get onto the scheme so you got to make up colors. So we're down on the line one time and I think I called out the scheme the blue blue something like that. And then Omar on the other side of the center says aquamarine. <laughs> <laughs> And I was fell over. I mean, uh, aquamarine. <laughs> nice. All right, so uh, let's play some small catechism wheel of fortune. This is uh, where we loaded up oh, phrases no from the small catechism into this wheel of fortune, and we're just going to spin it, and whatever it lands on the other, per- well, we'll take turns here. We have to just okay. start teaching. Whatever, whatever it lands on, go. All right, so here, go. Here's just your teach. First. You get points for this? Uh, yeah, 200, 200 points per round. Am I up first? Yeah, you're up first. All right. Uh, he richly and daily provides me with all that I need to support this body in life. Go. Wow. Well, there we are. That's right next to the uh, phrase that we mentioned earlier, without any merit or worthiness in me. That's first article stuff. And it's saying that the Lord... So, okay, now here I think maybe is a, a wonderful way to get into Luther's explanation of the creed. That's what we're talking about. And remember, the creed is the second chief part, so we have the Ten Commandments creed. The creed is a summary of God's acts towards us. We could be tempted to think of it as a historical thing. God created back then. God redeemed back then. The Holy Spirit came back then. But what Luther teaches us is, no, this is, this is a description of how it is now. So it's not just that I believe that God created Adam and Eve, but that God created also me, and that he richly and did all that I need to support this body in life, so that so that now God has provided for me. Today, that I had a coffee and a bagel this morning, which is tasty, that is a gift from God. He, he The Lord continues to uphold the, the, this world, and if he were to one minute, one second to neglect to, to, to stop holding all things together, then the universe itself would just would crumble into nothing and we would go with it. So that the, so that the creative work of God continues and it shows up in his blessings uh, today. Uh, now, and maybe one more thing on that. It's, Luther will pick up on that 
language of richly and daily in the large catechism on the third article of the creed. So the Lord has instituted the church for so that he would give us nothing but the daily and uninterrupted forgiveness of sins. So that in in the in the first article the Lord provides for our lives, our physical lives, and in the third article the Holy Spirit provides for our eternal life by the forgiveness of sins. Now I I agree with everything you said. I want to add to that too that 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 God's uh, providing for us is not disconnected from the uh, the work of Christ. Um, so in other words, if you did not have a God who is going to uh, redeem His people, then you would not have a God who would have uh, any reason to um, uh, to provide for their bodily needs. So. So, so in, in other words, if, if take take away the sacrifice of Christ, or even the the promise that Christ in the Old Testament would, would one day come, uh, all you have then is a God uh, wrathful towards sinners. <laughs> so, so, so because He uh, comes, uh, l- let me try this way too. Um, his His grace is never disconnected from the cross. So it's not like so that so that the. Uh, I think the Reformed will have this prevenient grace that there's or a common grace. You know that phrase. So yeah. there's this common grace that just kind of applies to everyone. But then there's an atoning mercy and grace for the elect. But uh, you don't have any mercy of grace of God apart from the cross. So the fact that God is so merciful to redeem us uh, is the basis for which He provides His daily food. Mm. Right. Okay. That's so, right. It's uh, that's Romans eight. He says. Uh, uh, he who did not withhold his only son, but gave him up for us all, how, how shall he not also together with him also give us all things? So that the gift of everything comes because of the gift of the cross. All right, so I'll give you 200 points and myself 100 points. Okay. Uh, Why? Here... Why do you get 100 points? Because well, you, comment... you were teaching on the thing? Yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's a new rule I just made up. Okay. <laughs> all right, now this is you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> See what it says. Okay, not just plain water. Oh, nice. Ah, okay. So this is talking about baptism, and uh, so Luther, in his writing of the small catechism, makes this great distinction. Well, what is baptism? Baptism, apart from God's word, is just water, and no baptism, but with the word of God, uh, it is a life-saving, um, sa- uh, uh, salvation-giving sacrament. Um, so with with God's word, baptism with God's word in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, uh, it is not just water, but it is also the word of God, his command and promise that in these waters he's bestowing a great gift. Um, so the sacrament, apart from the word of God, is no sacrament, but with the word of God, therein is the sacrament. That's nice. So when he says it's not just plain water, he doesn't mean it's like special water from like the Dead Sea or something like that. Right, right, right. The Jordan River water. Right, or holy water. And it's not like um, we've got this tank of water that we holyize, and then it's ready for, for baptism. Holyize. My dad, one time he said when he, wanted to, when he was a kid and he went over to Israel for one of these business trips, he got some, he got some like Jordan River water in a, in a water bottle, and the person cleaning the hotel room threw it away. And I said, "Well, Dad, they actually knew what it was better than you did." <laughs> That's great. You know, I, I don't know if I've told this story on the air before, but um, at our church we have two different wells that we get our water from, and one of them, for whatever reason, even though the well is just like thirty feet from the other, 
one of them has this terrible sulfur smell in it. And I was always sure when I got water for baptism, I'd always be sure to get it from the well with the sulfur smell because I wanted people to know that this is just plain water from the sulfur well. <laughs> like, oh, this, nice. this baptism stinks so yeah, bad. Yeah, that's right. That's the smell of the devil coming out of you. All like right. Baptism smells like rotten eggs. <laughs> Let's give you another turn here. I'll give, right, uh, you get 200 points for that? Yeah, or? so I'm up to 300. Uh, ooh, yours is, this is most certainly true. Huh. That's interesting. That comes, let's see, where that comes at the end of the creed, at least. Uh, so as Luther teaches the first, second, and third article, this is most certainly true. I think it's just there. This is most certainly true. Uh, and it's because when the in the creed we're confessing what we believe, what we what we what we confess, what we say is true that God has done. And so when we confess the first article, we say, "Yeah, I believe this." The second article, "I believe this that Jesus died; He's my Lord." The third article, that the Holy Spirit creates the church and forgives our sins and will raise us on the last day. So this is most certainly true, is Luther's way of saying, um, "I believe," or really, it's his way of saying, "Amen." Yes, yes, let this be so. So that's um that's nice. Yeah, uh, this is most certainly true. That's uh so that's explanation of the creed and it's and it's a confident you know, maybe to say this is it there's a confidence that we have. A lot of people whenever we express a a, a a conviction a certainty on our convictions, people see that as prideful or arrogant. So you're not supposed to be able to say that. I mean, you're not supposed to be able to say this is most certainly true to anything that you believe. You're supposed to hold all your beliefs and your opinions loose in the hand. And I suppose that's that's fair enough if the opinions come from our own thinking and our own conclusions. But if God tells us something, we know it's true, not because we've arrived at it, but because he's said it. So all the things that we confess in the creed are so established by the word of God, that the certainty that we have comes from him, not from ourselves. That's interesting, because it used to be that that was true for, like, spiritual matters. So, I mean, you would say, okay, the sky's blue, uh, but if you want to assert that there's uh, three persons, one God, or you want to assert that uh, um, that there's an afterlife or something like that, okay, you need to approach that with a little degree of, of humility and saying, uh, well, I don't, you know, I think, or maybe, or in my belief, or to me, these kinds of subjective things. Uh, first of all, we should say that uh, if God himself reveals these things to be true, to assert any doubt is itself uh, uh, prideful, <laughs> that you're saying that you know more than God, <laughs> that God would say, this is who I am, and say, this is maybe who God is, that's prideful. But now, it's not just the spiritual things that we're we're supposed to be a little subjective on. Now it's even things in, in real in real reality, in, in physical life. So you look over there and say, hey, that man over there is a man. And they say, no, it just appears to be a man, but it's really a woman trapped in a man's body. So even, even things that normally had biological proof are supposed to be subject to uncertainty. Are you just piggybacking on all my answers here? Yeah, I'll, I'll give myself another 150 points. Wow. <laughs> You're generous with your own self-identification of your worthiness there. All right. so That's, that... like, a, that's like an answerer trapped in a questioner's body. <laughs> that is 450 points for me to Pastor Wolfman. There's 400 more 
Small Catechism Wheel of Fortune coming up right after this on Table Talk Radio. You're listening to Table Talk Radio because cable's expensive. Get the Around the Word devotions delivered to you in a free daily email. You can f- sign up for that at whatdoesthismean.org. Click the Devotions button. Hundred and fifty points to Pastor Wolfman. There's four hundred. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. Where we're playing. Wow. We- Who's counting, anyways? <laughs> oh, I am. I got it right here. Four fifty to four hundred. So it's my turn. Let's see how many points I can get on this one. Ah, only those sins which we know and feel in our hearts. Ah. Could you just list those for me? <laughs> well, um, go ahead. Doing this show. I won't tell anybody. Promise. <laughs> doing Table Talk Radio every week. Um, <laughs> all right. Um, no, you're, it's, it's the guilt, not the shame. <laughs> oh, I see. All right. So this is in the section of the catechism where it's talking about confession and absolution. And, um, you know, this is, this is always, I'll bet you anything. If you ever, ever, ever. Oh, this ever, is the apocryphal part, huh? No, yeah. no, no. This is actually included. Sorry, it's the Office of the Keys is apocryphal. Yeah. Uh, also, yeah, sorry, sorry. yeah. Also, the uh, very end of the uh, uh, the Lord's Prayer. Anyway. Oh. Uh, you know the uh, the kingdom and the glory forever. The uh, glory forever and ever. Yeah. yeah. You included that in there. Yeah, yeah, hmm. yeah. Uh, anyway, okay. um, I don't skip that when I pray. Do you? Uh, okay. No, so, so I'll, I'll bet you anything. Anything that when you explain confess absolution, ninety percent of the time the reaction you get is, "Well, I don't have to go." That's to- Roman Catholic. <laughs> I don't have to confess my sins to a pastor. I can go directly to God. Right? I, you hear that a lot. Mm-hmm. I do. Okay. Uh, whenever you come back to the microphone, that'd be fine. Um, okay. So sorry, I do. <laughs> <laughs> that microphone has to be somewhere in the vicinity of your mouth in order for us to hear you. Uh, so here's the thing that the catechism teaches, though. The catechism teaches, yes, confess all your sins before God. There is no sin right, right. that you should commit uh, and be remorseful and be repentant of that you shouldn't confess before God. But the catechism also leads us to uh, confess those sins which we know and feel in our hearts to the pastor. That is, uh, certain sins— Get us certain sins um, uh, strike the conscience in such a way that they they persist to trouble us, and for that the Lord has given us a gift. He so here's here's a way to think about it: the Lord does not desire that you would continue stricken conscience because of this particular sin. He's given a gift in the church so that you would be freed from such burden, and that gift that He gave is absolution from a pastor, that the pastor that he uh, has placed in your church and has availed to you the gift of absolution, he's put there as his mouthpiece. He is put there to speak on his behalf uh, pertaining to your sins. And upon confessing your sin, he will say to you, in the stead and by the command of Christ, I forgive you 
of your sin, this particular thing that you're stricken about, this particular thing you've confessed, you are forgiven for that sin. And that is a great gift and comfort. Uh, so, so yes, confess all sins before God. We're not saying anything else. But when you're stricken in your conscience for a particular thing, uh, confess it before your pastor so that you can hear the voice of God through his mouth. I have a rule, by the way. So, oh, so here's some a couple helpful lists. Number one, there's three kinds of confessions uh, of, of confession of sin. So, and, and this is just good catechism stuff to have in our mind. Number one, we confess all our sins to God, specific sins that we feel, and also the fact that we're sinners, even sins we don't know about. So, forgive my hidden faults, or the Lord's prayer, forgive us our trespasses. We confess everything to God. Number one, number, and that's required by Scripture. And when we confess, the Lord is generous to, to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that's number one. Number two, we confess the sins that we commit against people to those people. So if I sin against you, I go to you and confess my sin to you and ask for your forgiveness. Number three is this confession that we do to the pastor. It's not required in the Scripture, although it's offered there, and it's really quite a great benefit and that's where we confess the sin that we can that we commit against God and the neighbor to the Christian and ask for the Lord's mercy and and hear the Lord's forgiveness from that person. So it's not like when we go to the pastor confess our sins we're confessing the sins we committed against him although we could. It's not like we're looking for the forgiveness from him but the forgiveness that comes from God like Jesus promised John 20 if you forgive anyone their sins they're forgiven. Now the advice that Luther has that we're talking about here is when you feel it in the conscience. So it's like, um, it's like you. So the picture that I think of is like a dog who gets a mouthful of peanut butter. You know that you got that. It's like he's trying to eat the peanut butter, but it's stuck to the roof of his mouth, and he's just can't get it out. So he's <laughs> like this, trying to get the peanut butter out. Have you seen that before? Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's the so the when the when a sin gets stuck in the roof of your mouth like that and it just it's just there, that's when you need to go to confession. So if you go to church and you have the general confession, I'm a poor miserable sinner, and you think you're thinking of the same thing, three weeks in a row, that's this the sin's just stuck there in the conscience, and you got to go get it. But you got to, it's like um, sometimes you can pull the splinter out, but but when it's on the bottom of your foot and you just can't reach it, you got to get someone else to get the tweezers and pull out the splinter. So you go to the pastor and you're like, hey. I got a splinter in the conscience. Your, Could you pull it out? Your tweezers. Uh, now, is is it possible that uh, sin might continue to 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 fester, to bug me? Oh yeah. Oh, uh, after yeah. So, individual absolution. Yep. Yep. You just so keep going back and keep. Hey, is this still forgiven? Yep, still forgiven. So, great, great. All right, another round for you. I'll give myself two hundred points for that. Do I get any points for it? Um, all right, I'll give you. I'll give you seventeen points. Four seventeen. All right. Your turn is, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. We've talked about like the, that like four times already. Do you want a different one? No, that's uh, okay. I'll, I'll let you pass if you surrender 100 Table Talk radio points. No, 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 no. Okay. There's plenty to say about that because in a, Jesus, to explain that parable, to, sorry, sorry, to explain that <laughs> petition, he gives this parable of the of the indebted servant. Remember that? So there's this guy who owes the king a bajillion dollars, and he goes to the king. The king says, pay me what you owe, or I'm going to throw you in debtor's prison and throw your family in there, too, until, until the cost is, is, is taken back from you. 
And uh, the guy says he be- he falls at his feet and he- or his knees and he begs the king, give me more time and I'll pay you everything I owe you. And the king suddenly says, no, no, don't worry, I forgive you. You don't owe me anything, and so, which is w- and just incredible. So the guy leaves the king's presence and he goes out and he finds some guy who owes him a couple thousand bucks and he, he strangles him and says, pay me what you owe or I'll throw you and your family in prison. And this guy uses the same exact words to beg for mercy from his the guy he owes money to. He says, give me time, I'll pay you everything I owe, and he, he won't hear it. So not only does he give him, he doesn't have any mercy to give him time, he doesn't have any mercy at all to forgive him, and he throws him in prison until he gets the money back. And then the servants see this, and they, and they tell the king, and the king is wroth, like we used to say. Man, I wish we hadn't lost that word, <laughs> wroth. The king is wroth, and he takes the other guy, and he grabs him by the neck and throws him in prison. Uh, where the, And then Jesus suddenly switches from his parabolic language to very real and horrible language. He says, and he throws him into outer darkness where the worm will eat him forever. Ugh. So that so that Jesus is explaining how the forgiveness of God ought to result in the forgiveness of each other. Now I want to so I want to take that parable and rewind a little bit and just and see how it would play out the other way if it if it was slightly different. So let's pretend you're with me here on mm-hmm. this. Yep. Redo redo the parable. Let's pretend the guy goes into the king and he says, "Give me some time and I'll pay you everything," and the king says, "Fine, you've got ten days." And then the guy goes out and he finds the person that owes him 2000 bucks and says, pay me what you owe me, and he throws him in prison. Now, if, he throw, if that's the situation, is anybody scandalized by that guy exacting the amount that's owed from the other servant? Do you see what the question? Yeah. So that, so that the, same ver- the same scandalous act... If it's if the king did not have mercy, the same scandalous act is not only not scandalous anymore, but it's almost what's expected. Hmm. And and I think this is the the point that Jesus wants to make is that if we do not have the underlying foundation of God's mercy, then it doesn't make any sense to forgive someone. In fact, we go around this life demanding justice, demanding what we're owed, demanding all these things, and that's right. In fact. Demanding what we're owed is like the height of righteousness and justice for people who do not know Christ. And yet when we know God in Christ, when we know the forgiveness of our own sins, when we know that God should have thrown us into outer darkness, but instead he abandoned his son and struck him on the cross so that we might be forgiven, then we live in a very different way. Mm. So that the forgiveness of sins that we have from Christ results in our forgiving one another. See it? Yeah, I have found, I wonder if you can resonate with this as well, in my pastoral experience in teaching this, um, just in general in Bible class or, or maybe like an adult instruction class, something like this, when this topic comes up, people start to really squirm, oh, yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, because, I mean, you have these lines that say, um, if if uh, if you do not forgive your brother who sins against you, do not expect your father to forgive you. And, uh, and so uh, people start to squirm. I think there's something in this to say, um, I, I have a, 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 my conscience bears witness to the fact that I do not forgive as I should. Now, should then that person squirming uh, conclude that God might not then forgive me because of my struggles to forgive another? 
How would you respond to that? Well, it depends on what the struggle is. I, I had a person, how about this? I had a person, they went through adult instruction class, learned the catechism and everything, says, I believe all this stuff, but except for this, forgiveness, forgiving other people. So I don't think I, I don't think I should forgive. I've got a lot of enemies, a lot of people that have done me wrong, and I don't think I should forgive them. I think I should, I think I, I want to pursue vengeance. And so he didn't join the church because he didn't believe the forgiveness of sins wow. ought to be that he ought to be a, live a life of forgiveness. And now, if you then now that was an act of integrity and honesty. I was wrong. I was wrong-headed, of course. But if, if I'm trying to forgive my neighbor and I'm struggling with it, that's one thing. Versus if I just say no, I don't. I'm not going to live a life of forgiveness. I'm going to live a life of pursuing revenge. Then that is, then that's a very different situation. What's interesting about the example you brought up? It's not just that that was a doctrine he can agree with, so he can't join the church. But but that position, that that uh, conclusion, maybe said something about what he understood about Jesus's forgiveness for him. Um, that that it was an indicator that there was greater doctrinal issues than just this one category. Oh, for sure. All right, we're going to take one more break, and we'll finish out this show playing wow. another round of wow. Wheel of Fortune right after this. Table Talk Radio. It's everyone's favorite. I'm taking some old Luther stuff, pulling it out of the collections and publishing it. You can download it for free or buy them for five bucks. Find it, the Everyone's Luther, at wolfmuller.co. Click on the books at the top of the page. All right, one more segment left of this excitement and hilarity and everything else. Uh, huh. Doing some excitement and hilarity. Well, what yep. have you been doing? Checking yeah. Facebook? <laughs> uh, listening to this. Oh, that's exciting. There it goes. Uh, that's the peak. Uh Oh, dang it. That's yours. What uh, is it? Come on. Praise song trance. Lose a turn. <laughs> Apparently, I got stuck listening to Chris Tomlin, and now I can't. I can't play yeah. now. <laughs> Dang! All right. Well, I guess you get to go. Uh, I, I never apparently got points for my last round, so that oh, really? kind of evens that out, you know. <laughs> uh, okay, here's yours. And live uh, under him in his kingdom, and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. That's so great. That's the end of the second article of the Creed, which talks about now. Oh, so here's something that sometimes we miss. You got This is why you got to read the Large Catechism. The Large Catechism you can get for free online. Luther's Large Catechism. I, we did a cleaned up PDF version of it for around the word, and you can buy the thing for five bucks. You know that little Large Catechism. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Pastor Melius gives them away to visitors at his church. What do you nice. think about that idea? I like it. It's pretty good. The large you got it. So what you can catch on the Large Catechism that it, you might miss with just the Small Catechism is that when Luther's talking about the three articles of the Creed, he hones in on one particular word. So the first article, I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth. The word that he zooms in on is Maker. And then in the third article, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, community of saints, etc., he hones in on the word holy. But the second article is he hones in on the word Lord. 
I believe that Jesus Christ, true God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, and also true man, born of the Virgin Mary. Wait, we say it differently now, don't we? Begotten of the Father from eternity, and also true man, born of the Virgin Mary, is my Lord. And so the picture, the the kind of, the, the, the picture that Luther is painting is the picture of a Lord and, the, and those who live under the Lord in his kingdom. So, so what is the Lord? Is the, is, so we don't have lords anymore nowadays. Remember how we live in America? Hmm. So there's no lords? Yeah. You can't even be royalty hmm. anymore. I mean, it's a, isn't it illegal to be royal uh, in the United States? Uh, I mean, to be a monarch, yeah. Is that the same as being royal? <laughs> no, like you can't even be like a duchess or anything. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> That's all. You, there's your hopes and dreams yeah. dashed. Man, what am, so, I, what am so I doing we, here then? <laughs> <laughs> I'm the royal of table talk the, radio. The duchess of orthodoxy. <laughs> Who are you calling a duchess? I don't know. You could look like a duch. You could be a duchess <laughs> trapped in a Dutch body. <laughs> Anyhow, the point is, we don't know about lords anymore. We normally think of lords because we think of, like, our French Revolution class in high school where there was a guy in the castle and he was beating everybody with sticks who didn't make enough oatmeal for him or whatever. But the, but the lord is the one who, who basically takes you into his extended family and now protects you. And the picture that, that Luther puts forth as it, it, that Jesus is our lord is he is the one who has... Who's has, who has rescued us. He's gone out, and he's rescued us from the kingdom of darkness, and he's, he's purchased us, he's won us with, his, with the cost of his own blood, and he's brought us now into his kingdom where he will continue to protect and keep us. So we live in the, in the realm of our Lord, and he is guarding and protecting and watching over us, and now we live in this kingdom, and we serve him, eternally in everlasting righteousness innocence and blessedness so we live in this in this restored kingdom that is in the church and jesus is the one who who has us because he's paid the price with his own blood he's purchased and won us from sin's death and the power of the devil and this little phrase that we that we live under him in his kingdom and we serve him in everlasting righteousness innocence and blessedness is the kind of the completion of this paradise picture of being under the in the realm of this incredibly benevolent and gracious lord ah good i'll give you 200 points for all that wow okay so that takes you to 617 to my 650 slightly less somehow who's doing the math on this i don't know you know how it was when I was growing up is the person who won was always the person keeping score. Ironically. Mm. I don't know why. What'd that you would get? Be. Uh uh the third day he rose again from the dead. Hmm. Uh so this is the thing. Um uh, I Are remember we even allowed to talk about that. I'm not sure if we're in the middle of Lent now. Oh. So we have to pretend like Jesus never rose from the dead. Don't you know how <laughs> that game goes? <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, so there, no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, okay. So I remember when I was like in high school and, um, there was this guy who I think was a Messianic Jew and he was arguing with me on this point and he was saying, um, that the Christian church has the, the Holy week thing all wrong. Um, and that, uh, he didn't actually rise on the third day because, and this was the, the, this is the Sadie's doctrina he was going to on this. It was, uh, just as, uh, Jonah was in the, a belly of the well for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be. And so he said on the basis of that text, 
you must have three days and three nights. And so um, I was stuck on that for a while. I didn't really know what the answer was. But but uh, there's a couple things that guide us in this. The one thing is um, that Jesus was not given a proper burial. Do you know why? Uh, they didn't have the time. Sun was setting. Well, sun was setting for what? The Sabbath. Oh, and what day is that? Saturday. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, so okay. I mean, one of the factors is that look, um, we know that, that it was a trick question. <laughs> it was on. Do a, I get points for that? I, I'm talking here. Friday was the day that he was crucified because um, uh, they had to quickly bury him for the the Sabbath before the Sabbath comes, uh, which was at sundown. Um, the other thing here, and this is, I think, the more important thing, is that the scriptures will constantly say that uh, Christ will raise be raised on the third day. The third day, especially John, or sorry, uh, Matthew. Matthew uh, is always saying the third day, the third day. Now, if you think about it, it's impossible to have both of those, the third day and also three days and three nights. Because as soon as you enter the third night, you are in, onto the fourth day, you see. Um, so we just asked the question, what is what is Jesus teaching us with the, uh, with the, the sign of Jonah? Is he teaching us the timetable? Uh, or is he teaching us that uh, something about signs? And so that the, the, the people of Jesus' day were always looking for signs. And Jesus says, if you want a sign, here is your sign. It is the resurrection. Just like Jonah was in the well and then uh, he came out, so will the Son of Man be in the earth and then come out. And so that's just sign. Now that then is instructive for us. Are we to be looking for signs and wonders for us? No, we have the resurrection of Jesus. Um, and so the third day was fulfilled um, that he was in the grave for a part day on Friday, all of Saturday, and a part day on Sunday, three days. I was looking at this. Uh, do you have this Steinman book, the From Abraham to Paul, a I biblical do. chronology? Yep. Do you book. like you went to give blood, and so you could afford it? Mm-hmm. It plasma, is not. It, it has a nice little section on there, uh, on that whole sign of Jonah, and it and it pulls up the Old Testament, uh, pulls up the Old Testament quotes about three days and three nights, indi- and showing how it it's a phrase. It's like a figure of speech. Nice. So now, yeah, very good. Handy. All right, let's see what you get here. You have about two, you two minutes left. Uh, hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. Aha! That has to do with God's Word. And this is the great point, is that it's not enough to hear God's Word. This has to do with the third commandment. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so we don't despise preaching in His Word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. And the point here is that it's not enough to hear the preaching. you got to like it, which is what I teach the kids. <laughs> in I said, you can't just come to church. you got to like coming to church. That's what the commandment is. It's, mm. And it's interesting to me that despise is the thing that's forbidden both in the third commandment and the fourth commandment. So we should fear and love God so we don't despise preaching in his word, and we should fear and love God so we don't despise our parents and other authorities. That there is a, The devil wants us to be despising things, but the Lord wants us to be delighting the devil wants us to despise the good, but the Lord wants us to delight in the good so that the commandment even reaches mm. our desires and our delights. And here we are set, by the third commandment, we are set in this world to delight in that thing which is the most delightful, namely God's word and the truth of both of his law and most especially of his gospel, that that His, 
that that in the word of God, in the preaching and in the scriptures, we hear the voice of Jesus and he speaks to us with his great kindness and tells us that he loves us in spite of our sin, that we're forgiven and that we're going to be in eternal life with him forever. So how could you possibly not gladly hear and learn that? Wow, nice. All right, 200 points. That takes oh, you to <laughs> 817. I'm getting another one in here. Uh, he eternally invites us to believe that he is our true father and that we are his true children. This is how Luther teaches us about prayer. So that, uh, I mean, normally think about this, the God almighty who had created everything in the solar system, uh, uh, it would be, he would be completely unapproachable for us sinners to talk to him. I mean, I can't even get through to the governor of the state, much less the creator of the universe. Uh, and yet... God uh, invites us to speak to him as children speak to a father. Uh, so we have this great confidence uh, as a promise from God that he is eager to hear our prayers and does in Jesus Christ. So that's 200 points for me. Uh, <laughs> wow. 1,050 points to your 817. I'm sorry that didn't work out for you, Pastor Wilfram. It's a fair accounting, I'm pretty sure. But thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Hey, we got a family in church and they named their boy Adam and... I'm hoping they're going to have another boy, and they'll name him Adam. Thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Table Talk Radio is not for everyone. Please consult your pastor before listening to Table Talk Radio. Side effects may include nausea, vomiting, headache, heartburn, hair loss, hallucinations, and aversion to incomplete sentences with aquatic imagery, psychosis, coma, death, halitosis, lung cancer, brain tumors, sleep pain, internal bleeding, internal combustion, a sudden craving to smell your backseat, claustrophobia, an uncontrollable urge to fight the Calvinists on Twitter, and falling off your treadmill. For more information, visit tabletalkradio.org.